It's just another bad day, dark feelings are back Assaulting your heart with a panic attack There ain't no shame in feeling depression You sit down and talk some, get it off your- Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Andy's Man Club podcast Thanks so much for joining us, uh, I hope you've been enjoying the series so far We've really enjoyed bringing it to you, some of the stories and the uh, you know the different bits of positivity that we've taken out of the, the podcast so far has been amazing to see Joined by some more amazing guests today. Obviously, we've got another one of our amazing facilitators from around the country joining me as co-host. Um, again, I'm sure many of you got used to myself and Luke hosting the podcast the last time around. Decided we'd change it up a little bit this time and get some of the guys along that were uh, that are involved in running the session. And we've got a fantastic guest as well that I'm going to introduce shortly. But first of all, I'd like to introduce to you Chris. Some of you might recognise him from the podcast. He, uh, he guested on the podcast with us last time. Uh, but for those of you that are not familiar with him, Chris, do you want to give us a little bit about who you are and uh, where you're based and what have you? Yeah, so I'm uh, Chris Martin, I'm based down in, in sunny Devon. Um, set up uh, Andy's Man Club down in, in the, actually in the prisons, which obviously will come a bit more apparent later on. Um, but yeah, we, we, we've then put it into, I suppose, the Devon community. And now we've got four amazing clubs down here, um, which is going really well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a bit of a real ride, but I think actually it's been yeah a very interesting sort of um, period of time over the last three years really I think I'm nearly, well, not nearly yeah. four now I think but uh yeah it's been it's been great to be a part of it and uh yeah obviously great to be part of these podcasts and meet some interesting uh characters as well so yeah looking forward to it well welcome along and without any further ado I'd like to introduce to you our guest for today we're really excited by this one this today we're joined by Peter Blexley Peter how are you very well thank you fantastic um Sort of similar to how an Andy's Man Club would work then. I'd like to sort of introduce yourself, really. You know, who better to speak about the person that we're going to speak about than the person themselves? A little bit of uh, of your background and a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe why we want to speak to you today, if you don't mind, buddy. Certainly. Well, I'll, I'll get the uncomfortable bit out of the way first. I'm old, OK? Um, I'm, I'm that old that I, I joined the police as a raw 17-year-old cadet way back in 1977. Um, after doing 18 months of parade square bashing, being subjected to discipline, which I definitely needed in my life, all those kind of things, um, I became a, a PC at the age of 18 and a half um, and then got posted to the mean streets of Peckham in South East London. And they were mean streets. I learned an awful lot very quickly about policing. Not all of it good, I hasten to add. It was dark days in many regards. You know, the late 70s, um, racism was rampant and abominable uh, but there was no way of whistleblowing about it that expression hadn't even been considered then or invented should i say um anyway i was i was at the brixton riots in 1981 um a weekend that i will simply never forget and it had an indelible effect upon me i decided to get out of uniform then and in 1982 i was posted as a detective to the royal borough of kensington and chelsea don't you know and um, that was a rather different manner from Peckham to police. Um, learned a whole new bunch of skills and experiences there. Um, and in 1985, achieved what then was my ambition as a fit and fearless 25-year-old cop to be a Scotland Yard detective. Um, when I sort of puffed my chest out, pulled my shoulders back and walked through the revolving doors of New Scotland Yard, I thought, this is where I want to be. Uh, very soon after arriving on what was then called the Central Drug Squad, I started working undercover, uh, pretending to be a gangster, a villain, a crook, a wrong and all of those kind of things. And I bought guns and counterfeit currency and high valued stolen goods like lorry loads of trainers and scotch. I pretended to be an assassin. And if somebody wanted someone murdered, so we would then enter conspiracies to murder. And people would, once we'd cobbled, once we'd gathered all the evidence, they would be uh, arrested and charged with that. And I bought literally millions upon millions of pounds worth of drugs. You name it, all different kinds of drugs. This was the mid 80s. The cocaine explosion was happening on the streets of the UK. Uh, and, and, and I did that and had a very enjoyable time for, uh, for a decade. Um, until my life was turned completely and utterly upside down because of my involvement in a, a very uh, multi-agency, global, worldwide and tricky case um, where the largest ever landside seizure of heroin was delivered to me in a hotel room in Gatwick 
Um, and after that, a report was compiled that had my real name in it. Should never have had my name in it. Should have just had my code number from the Scotland Yard unit on there. Um, <clears throat> and that report, mysteriously, that had my real name in it when it shouldn't have done, was taken out of police premises when it shouldn't have been, was put in an unmarked police car that shouldn't have happened, and the driver of that car went shopping on the way home from work. Shopping. I didn't know a lot of detectives that went shopping on the way home from work. A lot of us went to the pub on the way home from work, but shopping, give me a break. Anyway, you can probably guess the rest. That car got broken into, that report got stolen. And because the bad guys wanted to kill me, we knew that from a phone tap in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, my life was turned upside down. I had to abandon my life, abandon my home, abandon my identity and move into the witness protection program under a completely assumed identity. And that really was the beginning of my mental health issues. Absolutely fascinating, Peter. Thank you so, so much for, uh, for, for sharing that with us. It's, uh, it's an absolutely fascinating world. As you say, I think for those of us that you know, probably spend our Sunday evening watching things like Line of Duty. It sounds like such a glamorous sort of existence and a, you know, a, a fantastic thing to be a part of. But like you said, the, the darkest point of that um, must be, you know, it's something difficult to comprehend. Interesting that we've got Chris along today as well. Obviously, Chris, you've got a background of working within the prison systems as well, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think rather relevantly to this, I, I, I was uh, in charge of... Um... Cheers, which is covert human intelligence sources in at, uh, at one of the prisons in London, um, and I think you know that the, when you sort of mentioned the fact that your your real name was used in the report, and it makes me real because it's the sort of thing I've seen a couple of times. But it's yeah, the the level of risk involved with that is is not to be un, underestimated. And I think you know when when you sort of spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder, as is clearly you've probably done, uh, that's that's no way not going to have a, a, a huge impact on your mental health, that's for sure. But yeah, I think it's it's a you know, fascinating story. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, was, it had such a catastrophic effect on me because, you know, I've always been a neighbourly sort of bloke. Um, so the flat that I, I lived in, um, you know, I knew all my neighbours and we'd, we'd have a meet on the lawn and a drink on a Sunday afternoon and a chat. And, and and I've been like that since I was a kid. I was brought up in a bit of semi-detached semi -detached suburbia, you know, where people talked over the garden fence and all that kind of stuff. And now suddenly there I was in this environment, false name, obviously a false background, legend, um, and continual fear of the assassin's bullet in the back of my head. And the worst thing that would happen for me was I'd come out the door in the morning to get in the car or the van, whatever it was I was driving for work, you know, and a neighbour would say, oh, hello, and, and who are you? And uh, what do you do for a living? And where have you moved from? And who's your girlfriend? And all, you know, because I would just have to layer, lie upon lie upon lie all the time while I'm conspiracy theorising about how I got into this position. And yeah. when you flow into that mix that I drank too much and I smoked too much just by way of self-medicating, self-help coping mechanisms, strongly not recommended, um, it was, of course, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, obviously, with being in those situations that you were in, Peter, obviously, like you say, it's a very, very complex sort of issue to be in. How did you get yourself from those positions that you were in there to where you are today, able to speak so openly about it, able to be in such a place where obviously you're comfortable to talk? And, and obviously, I'm sure that obviously we all have ups and downs of things like that in life, but in a position where I'm sure that you, your mental state is an awful lot better than it was. How, what sort of steps and measures have you taken to get to that point? Well, after two years of that in witness protection, the conspiracy theorising, the drinking and all, the, all that went along with that, um, I had a catastrophic mental health breakdown, uh, which really came to a head one afternoon when I was in what had been my local pub. I decided to go back there um, because, you know, it was just intolerable and I wanted to be on a, a bit of familiar ground. But I, my mental health was falling apart. And, and I guess I was probably a bit in denial of that. Um, and it really kind of manifested itself when I assaulted a mate of mine in the pub, um, knocked him off the bar stool that he was sitting on at the bar, picked up the bar stool and was a, was bringing it down on his head. You know, I, I was 
I was in the throes of killing this man. And as I'm bringing the, the, the barstool down, a voice screamed out, Blacks! And I had a split second of a lucid moment and I literally brought that barstool to a halt about 18 inches from his head and just threw it aside. Went and sat down, sort of collapsed into the chair and I thought, you know, I knew I hadn't been well. I knew I was clearly struggling massively. And then I thought, hang on, I'm a threat to other people now. You know, I can kind of deal with my own internal struggles and would hopefully get through those. But when I became a threat to other people, that was just a step too far. Was that your first light bulb moment of that then, Peter? Oh, oh, it was, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, and, and I am so grateful for that scream that went out, for that split-second lucid moment that prevented me from seriously injuring this man, if not killing him. Um, and, and it was at that point that I went, you know, this is this is a very, very catastrophic situation here. And within a couple of hours, I was fortunate enough to, uh, I was taken to hospital, immediately admitted to a lock-in psychiatric ward, um, because of course, there was such a clear and present danger to others as well as myself. And there I spent three and a half weeks, not getting better in three and a half weeks. It doesn't happen like that. You know, it was a, there was a lot of work went into uh, to regaining my, my good health, but the wonderful doctors, nurses, psychiatrists of the NHS, plus medication, um, plus lots of other therapies, and of course, talking. Don't ever, anybody ever underestimate talking as a, as a yeah. therapy, as a way of getting things off your chest and making yourself feel better and allowing others to understand you and then assess you and then get the right treatment for you. You know, it's just tick, 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 tick. How many boxes do we have to tick about talking? Um, I, I, I left hospital and, and so began a, a, a long recovery process. It's interesting. I think it, it, although you've obviously went through that, you know, several years prior to what the, the way I've seen things, I think people in that sort of environment, you know, when you're physically capable, you're always on guard and, and just waiting for those, those adrenaline moments all the time. You know, it, it takes that one sort of that moment to tip, you know, tip over the edge almost. And I think like you, like you experienced your, your barstool, it's something I've seen very, very commonly with, your prison staff in the military and, and and even you know in 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 environments where you know that edgy sort of feeling is is always apparent and it's, it's a really interesting sort of insight i suppose to the, to the way you found it that that was i suppose your your lucid moment of of almost you know light bulb moment of, of where you start to recover almost really yeah i would i wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now if it hadn't been for that split second moment and and it came as a shock to many many people that the fact that my mental health disintegrated like it did because i'd always been such a blokey sort of bloke you know and i'd worked undercover for a decade and you know if it was a major european global uk drug conspiracy and they wanted an undercover cop when the phone rang they, there was only one name they asked for you know, I had a glittering reputation in that field. Um, and so when I kind of just imploded, it came as a, a very big shock to, shall we say, the not very enlightened bosses that I worked for <laughs> and the organisation as a whole. Yeah. Just to come on to that, Peter, as well, obviously you've spoken about the atmospheres around policing and, and you know, mental health, I think, was something that, you know, we know all too well, the stigmas and, and things like that that exist when you were in that place and you were in that position of starting to talk and starting to open up about these sort of, you know, issues that you were having, what sort of reaction did you maybe get? Because like you said, you know, when you're talking in the late seventies police in the areas that you were working in, mental health won't have even been a word, let alone a focus or something to think about, you know, how did that feel first of all, for you to start sitting there and acknowledging that actually, yeah, this might be my mental health. This might be something that I need to do, you know, differently. This might be something that I need to go and get help with. You know, how did that feel for you, first of all? Did you feel those stigmas? How did you break those stigmas? And, you know, what, what sort of reaction did you get from others? Well, the police um, were, were so enshrined in the dark ages back in those days. In fact, um, my mum was dreadfully worried about me, as you can imagine. I'm very lucky to still have my mum here at 92. 
So we're talking 20 years ago, 25 years ago. My mum was very, very concerned. And she was also concerned at the lack of support, as she saw it, that we were getting from the police. Meanwhile, I'm still in the lock-in psychiatric ward. And as the deputy commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, so the number two of the Metropolitan Police, drove down to my mum's house and told my mum that I needed a kick up the arse. Um, which kind of gives you quite a clear indication into just how anchored in the dark ages the organisation was. Another detective, whose motives we have to question, went to my local pub, uh, where the, the governor of that pub remains my best mate, um, and he, you know, sorted up to the bar, got a drink, sort of introduced himself, and then turn around to my best mate, who had been visiting me regularly in hospital, of course, because that's what best mates do. Um, and he said, Blex is putting it on, and he? He's trying to work his ticket. In other words, he's trying to work a, 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 a mental health retirement sort of thing, you know, an ill health retirement. He said, he's putting it on, and he? Needless to say, yeah. he got very short shrift from my mate, who'd been in hospital, was deeply concerned about me, knew just how chronically ill I was. Um, but that gives you a pretty clear couple of snapshots into the mindset of the organisation, I think. They have moved forward, but, I mean, only this week a report has been uh, published, which sadly says that the culture that prevails in policing is responsible largely for so many of the mental health issues that officers are suffering from. And that, I think, is largely because the culture has changed dramatically from my day. And we did go down a pub. You know, we, we had a successful operation. We went down the pub. We've had a long week. We went down the pub. And what would now be called peer support group, you know, peer group support, ha happened in the pub. And we did, we did look after each other. You know, we looked out for each other and we looked after each other. And we did kind of discuss our problems and our issues. Maybe not in as open and honest way that I'd like people to do today, but we did. And so that kind of camaraderie um, was, was our support. Um, now, because drinking after work is frowned upon by so many and that kind of closeness doesn't exist between officers, I think they've lost that. Um, because it, it was a real release for us and support. Just going on to that, Peter, was one, one question I've, I've, I'm quite keen to sort of know is that in your experience of, of I suppose, engaging um, people that, you know, you've never met before and, and trying to get them to open up to you straight away and, and, and I suppose, I suppose, getting the measure of, of, of risk, but also, you know, their, their personality. I mean, something as, as, as facilitated of the clubs that we do each week is, you know, you'll see a, a, a new chap turn up week on you know week on week they don't want to talk they they might feel like that sort of an anticipation is really kind of almost burdening them too much and sometimes it's it's a real skill i think to be able to engage people who necessarily don't want to talk to you and i think it'd be interesting to see your kind of take on on how you used to do that as a professional not necessarily as a as a, as a peer supporter well of course i was wanting people to talk to me about serious acts of criminality yes. uh, so that i could join that conspiracy um, and that I'd be believed as a bona fide crook. Um, I think that was probably a, a I employ I deployed rather different opening up tactics than I would from somebody who wanted to come to uh, a group of guys whereby we're we're there to support and and help one another. And um, I think what history kind of told me, if I'm looking back and thinking about my team after after work having a drink, um, and this I most wholeheartedly do not recommend, but so often you would find that people's rather deep-seated issues would come to the fore on about the third, fourth or fifth pint. Mm. Um, that just is not great as far as I'm concerned. I think mm. now if, if we kind of change the situations entirely and we were gathered round in a, in a village hall, shall we say, and and I was I was lucky enough to be part of man's club a man's club meeting, shall we say? And we were all sat round and we were gathered there, and many of us didn't know each other. It might be the first time we've met, and we're there in what I will clumsily call a self help group. But let's 
you know, that's my terminology. So let me kind of uh, get away with that. My attitude now would be entirely different. Number one, of course, I wouldn't want alcohol anywhere near it. Um, and secondly, I would let people take their time. Um, they would need to feel comfortable, I think. They would need to feel that they could trust the others that were in the room in so much as if they came out with something that was very deep-seated, heartfelt, and previously untold, then it's absolutely crucial, of course, in the way that AA operates, GA, CA, um, all those fantastic groups operate, that the people feel comfortable and, and that there is, of course, confidentiality. Absolutely. I think, yeah, with, with hard-to-reach groups, it's, it's always a bit of a... A, a tricky one to do i mean in my experience i think when when i set um you know sort of peer support within in the prison environment i think one of the best bits of advice i ever took um was actually from a, a a book of i was doing a bit of research into and sort of coaching methods and it basically said if you can set an environment where people feel needed and noticed then actually you've got something you can work on and i think it's it's the best bit of advice i think you know training new facilitators to to try and engage people to feel comfortable actually to, to, to spill their beans as to actually what the issue is rather than putting that brave face on and, and saying the same old thing that, you know, they've been saying to everyone of oh, I'm fine. Don't you know, I'm, you know, you know, just got to man up and get through it and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's a real kind of, you know, sit in that environment where people feel enabled to, 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 to start actually talking. Now, what do you reckon, Andy? Do you think that's, uh, that's. Yeah, completely agree. hundred percent agree. Like you say, that the, the, the more people we can engage that, that want to offer that sort of, um support that we sort of offer and i think this is a really interesting segue for us to bring in the next part of what we're going to do hopefully so thanks for that gents you've, uh, you've saved me a link there but i think we'll jump <laughs> in with our um sort of little mini condensed andy's man club right here um just to sort of show peter a little bit about you know some of the things that you were saying there about how to offer support and things like that is exactly what we tried to do um as far as amc is concerned so we normally start with a little bit of an introduction into who we are but i don't think we need that today um the, there's just three things we don't talk about as far as Andy's Man Club's concerned. Those things are politics, religion and medication. Obviously, politics, religion, very divisive subjects that we don't want to get drawn upon. Um, what could be the pillar for one person won't be the pillar for another. And obviously, meds as peer support. We don't want to offer direct advice. Anything re med medical related should be spoken about with your doctor. Um, so question number one is always, how's your week been? Uh, my week this week has been hugely positive. Um Something that always I try to start doing at this time of year, obviously now that the uh, the lighter nights are here and the weather starts to improve, is a little bit more physical movement. I don't call it exercise, just moving a little bit more, just, you know, maybe jump on my bike a little bit or maybe take the dog on an extra walk here and there just to, you know, we know that the links between physical exercise and positive positivity and, you know, the release of endorphins and all those sort of things. And, you know, something that I try to do, um, at these times, it's just built that up a little bit, I think, especially after, you know, the recent lockdown that we've been through and everything like that, where we couldn't really get out of the house too much. It's something that I'm really going to double up on. So I've had a massively positive week um, so far. So, yeah, uh, Chris, we'll come on to yourself. How's your week been? Yeah, it's been it's been really good, actually. I've, um, I've recently taken on a, a new job with work. So I'm, I'm now I've now got, I think, 68 people uh, in, in my team, which is which is fantastic. And just I think just getting to know how you know how people are where they are and, and, and what they're about it's, it's been a really interesting I suppose learning how you know people's backgrounds and, and why they do the role we do which is which is phenomenal so actually it's been a really insightful week on that and I suppose you know, there's a bit of I suppose reflective um, leadership on that and just just knowing how to sort of engage people to the best which is which has been a really really good week but yeah all, all, all in all been been great love it thank you Peter how's your week been oh the weekend was a source of so much pleasure for me <laughs> because the cricket season returned and I love cricket. I love sport, but I particularly love cricket these days. My youngest son still plays. He's 18. He's a decent player. Um, and uh, I was chairman of our club for four years up until about 18 months ago. And um, to sit on the boundary with the call box, um, with some wonderful grub in there and, and listen to that sound of a ball being whacked around or when my son's bowling, the stumps being, you know, <laughs> hit and, and, and all of that is just 
a joyous thing. So that was a real, real high point on Saturday. Um, and also, I'm currently training for a charity fundraising challenge that I'm taking on in May, which is frankly bonkers. Um, <laughs> it was my stupid idea. Um, but can I mention it? May I? Okay. Well, my fundraising challenge is to walk a million steps in May. Now, wow. that equates to 32,259 steps every day for 31 days on the bounce without respite. With my stride length, that equates to 15 and a half miles. So in 31 days, I've got to walk 480 miles. Um, so I'm doing a bit of training for that. As you can imagine, I have become a slave to my Fitbit. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight while I'm doing it because I guess every pound I get off is another pound. I won't have to lug about for 480 miles. But I'm 61. I weighed 15 stone 11 last time I clambered onto the scales. They screamed for mercy as I stood on them. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm just trying to get myself into some kind of shape to be able to take on this challenge for a, a wonderful charity. Amazing. What charity is that for, Peter? I'm doing it for SAM, S-A-M-M, which is Support After Murder and Manslaughter. Because, of course, during the course of my work in recent years, writing and broadcasting about murders, um, I've spent a lot of time with people who've been bereaved by the most serious, worst crime there is. And the, the ramifications of these crimes go far, far and wide and last people's lifetimes. As you would imagine, just if, if you can try and think about losing a loved one to murder, it's something, it's a burden you're going to carry all your life. And Sam do wonderful work in supporting people who have been bereaved by murder and manslaughter. They're a well-established charity. They've been going 31 years. They're not a big charity, but... They operate on a national basis. Um, so, you know, it's it, it it was a natural fit for me because I can't write and broadcast about murder without giving something back, can I? Can I? So um, so that's why I'm I'm doing doing it for them. Um, if anybody would like to donate, um, that would be wonderful. If you if you go to givepenny.com and type in a million steps in May, that'll take you to my page. Um, and you could also pledge if you'd rather. In other words, you could pledge a few pennies or a few pounds, which would only get paid if I completed the million steps, for example. You can set your own target and decide how much you want to torture me by. It's got that added <laughs> benefit. Really? Well, what we'll do is within the description of the um, the podcast and what have you, we'll, we'll put a link to not just your fundraiser, but obviously Sam has a, I'm sure they've got a website and one thing and another. We never know. There might be somebody listening who has been impacted by those uh, by those issues. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll certainly do that and, and help raise a little bit of awareness of those guys as well. Um, so I wish you every luck with that, Peter. Question number two. Um, every single week, these questions remain the same. One, two, and three in Andy's Man Club. And question number two is always: What's been one major positive from your week? Now, my major positive for the last couple of weeks has been a constant, really, um, and it's been my little boy, uh, my little lad, seven, and as I've just said, with me trying to get out a little bit more, he's helping me along with that. But he's helping me along in his very own special little way. He's really got into football over the last few months. Um, the last game that he went to was the first, the last game, sorry, the first game he went to was the last game in front of the supporters. Um, so he, he's really caught the bug for football and he's dragging me outside at every available opportunity to kick a football at him in the net and, and things like that. So just to have that um, time outside, obviously we know that, being outside and being within an environment surrounded by nature and all those sort of things. I'm really fortunate that I've got a garden and things like that at home. Um, and to just be able to hammer a football at a seven-year-old as hard as you can is always a, a bonus as well, I'm sure. Uh, I don't always hammer it as hard as I can. I may be left-footed sometimes as well, just, just before we get any angry comments. Um, so, Chris, what about you? What's been your positive of the week, mate? I think... Um... Yeah, after a busy week, actually get, getting out on Saturday with the weather as it was, um, I went full forest gump and just went on a run to sort of see how you know far I wanted to go and end up uh, up on in the middle of Dartmoor and, and you know just sort of 
trying some some new routes up like there but it was just one of those days you know just all this flowers are out and birds are everywhere and it's just yeah it was just a really nice kind of time to get out and about in the get horrendous sunburn and then uh, come home again which was which is always a winner but no it's just it's nice that time of year is now sort of back with us like you said I bet it was one of them deceptive sunburns as well that you never felt during but then when you got home burned like a bastard it was it was epic to be fair yeah yeah it felt like I'd uh, you know opened the oven door and stayed there for a while if I'm honest but <laughs> her nose was glowing for a couple of days <laughs> well cheers Chris Peter uh, obviously if you you know, you've talked about the cricket so far. Anything else that stands out as a positive for you this week? Yeah, on Sunday, um, we took my 19-year-old back to university. So there's more food in the fridge. There's <laughs> more beer in the beer fridge. And there's a lot less laundry in the laundry basket. Nice. I mean, what is not to like? And he's nearly 20, so he needs to grow up. And his mum stopped crying after about an hour of the return journey. So that was all quite positive. Um, yeah, and of course, he's a student. They've had a very truncated and interrupted year. And so it's good that he's back in his house with his mates being a student. Love it. Um, question number three, then. Every single week is always, is there anything you need to get off your chest? I'm in a fortunate position at this moment in time. I've got nothing that's sort of burning desire to, to share at this moment in time. I'm uh, really fortunate in that regard. So I'll pass over to yourself, Chris, and see if there's anything else that you want to uh, share with us, mate. No, I think I'm mean, in a similar position. I think it's, you know, I think other than the fact that it's, you know, still that, that anticipation of, of of COVID restrictions lifting, I think it's just, you know, you can you generally feel a, a real kind of urge for people to want to get back to normality. But there's that kind of real trepidation, I think. And that's that's really coming across, especially in the sort of local community stuff. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, the sun's out, you know, beer gardens are now open, but it's just, it doesn't quite feel there yet. And I think it's just that, that, that time will come, but it's it's just quite an awkward um, awkward moment as it, it, it is the time being, isn't it? But other than that, yeah. no, I'm, I'm good other than that. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I spoke about it, I think, on, on another one of the pods was something that I fell into the trap of definitely during lockdown was focusing on the things that I couldn't do and getting hung up by those and sort of going, oh, bloody, I'd just love to be able to go and do this. I'd love to be able to go and do that. And something that I'm, I'm in the position of now really fortunate is that you know, the beer gardens, the things are open. I've not visited one yet because I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm in that position where the things that I've got going on around me, I'm actually pretty positive. And I don't need to be looking forward to those things that, you know, as brilliant as they are. And I think it's great that, you know, obviously the pubs and, and shops and everything have had such a difficult year. And something that I saw this week, you know, that a well-known um, supermarket chain just recently put out an advert, didn't they, that said, don't buy beer off us. Go to the pubs, they need you to. And, you know, just to see that sort of spirit coming back was brilliant as well. But, yeah, but I'm glad that I've, I've pulled myself out of that trap um, focusing on things that I can't do rather than, you know, the things that I can. So, uh, Peter, anything from yourself that you want to share that's maybe uh, something you need to get off your chest? Well, you brought up football, which has <laughs> opened the door for me to mention the European Super League, you see. Now, um, again, football has been my lifelong passion. And I've been a QPR season ticket holder all my life for my sins, of course. But I wouldn't want to support any other club. Um, yeah, this European Super League just kind of reinforced everything I've been saying about football for many, many years. That it's a law and an industry unto itself. It does what it wants to do. It doesn't appear to play by any kind of rules of life that I guess all of us have to abide by. It's full of greedy horrible money-grabbing people. And to think that we've now got a breakaway European Super League being condemned, and rightly so, but some of the organisations that are condemning it have got very, very questionable histories in the past with things like corruption and other wrongdoing. So football, I'll always love my team. I'll always go. I'll always be there for them. But as an industry... It stinks. The, the bonus of that, though, Peter, is obviously as a QPR fan, you won't have to worry about not being in it, will you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and who do you support, may I ask? Uh, I'm quite fortunate, actually. I, I'm from West Yorkshire, so you can probably guess the team I'm about to say. I'm a Leeds fan. Right. Um, right. And I was quite proud, actually, of the uh, the response that we had at the Liverpool game where the players obviously warmed up in T-shirts saying, you know, 
earn it and football is for the fans and things like that. I think that was a really, uh, really positive message to put out there and show that, you know, that there was actually directors in our director's box holding up those T-shirts. And it was quite a refreshing thing for me as a football fan to see that actually my football club has actually taken quite a stance on this. Um, I was talking to a mate of mine about it today, and he sort of said it's possibly because you're the first club that's had the opportunity. But it's like I said, we took that opportunity with both hands. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm exactly of the same opinion as yourself. I can't believe that it's even been suggested, but to see it so widely condemned has been, uh, you know, a, a positive as well. The, the only caveat with it with it is that there's been all this uproar about this in regards to obviously people losing money. As one of our players last night said, it, it's just a shame that it's not like this when it comes to issues around racism or issues around, you know, corruption, as you've said. Um, it's just when it obviously starts to impact people's pockets, unfortunately. So when your 87th minute equaliser went in last night, right? I'm in the lounge watching it with my wife. She's not wasn't really watching it, but my me and my my son were. I went open to the to the window and I opened the window, right? I said, What are you doing? I said, Can't you hear? I said, the whole football nation is now rejoicing at that equaliser. <laughs> and to it's think not- that's dirty leads making the whole football <laughs> country happy. Exactly, exactly the same conversation I had with somebody else today that when did Leeds become the moral compass of football? That's, that's quite a worry. Um, but yeah, um, thank you for that. We'll come on to question number four. Um, question number four and five for yourself, Peter, they change every single week. Sometimes they're a little bit of you know fun. You know We do them just for a little bit of a laugh and a giggle. Um, sometimes they're about setting targets or focusing on positives and things like that. This week's question number four is what is one thing about yourself that you are proud of and why? Um, for myself, it would be, um, especially over the last couple of weeks, I spoke about, you know, the situation I found myself in during lockdown. And I think I was in a bit of a situation whereby I'd stopped doing a lot of the things that I knew were positive for me. Uh, I'd stopped talking, I'd closed off and, you know, various different things. And that was, you know, I'd, I'd reverted back to uh, very much, I think, the man that I was before I'd found something like Andy's Man Club and I was, you know, responding to things angrily rather than in a considered way and, you know, looking at both sides. And I was, I think anger as an emotion is one that men are quite uh, comfortable to show. I think it's socially acceptable for men to be angry, isn't it? And it's not necessarily socially acceptable for men to cry or show different types of emotions. And I think that was the, uh, the trap I'd fallen back into. I'm quite proud of the fact that I was able to pull myself into a position that I'm in now with the help of some amazing people around me, I hasten to add, um, to now be in a place where I'm content. I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't want to say happy just because it's, it's, you know, happy is a temporary state, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, there's, there's so many different factors that can be attached to happiness. But contentment and to be, you know, pleased with some of the things that are going on, like I say, I'm, you know, able to, to you know, be proud of myself and look at that as, as something that is a massive positive about myself. And again, I think this is quite a deep, soul-searching question for a fella because it's not something that we're uh, we're all too good at is it we're all too self-depreciating and we sort of are quite easy to put ourselves down but I think it's a massive thing for a bloke to look at himself and go actually that's something about myself I'm pleased with and something that I'm proud of so that's from me and we'll come on to yourself Mr Martin. Um, I think really the overwhelming one for me really is I suppose club based but I think you know having much like you experienced Peter you know with with the the HM prison service, you know, being stuck in the dark ages as they were, um, you know, being a, a young gobby upstart as I was, you know, trying to push the uh, the, the, the mantle of actually let's let's get a, some sort of staff wellbeing thing in the real world, not just a phone number that you can ring um, and do something about the horrendous trauma that was going on. So then having, you know, four clubs in Devon with, well, pre-lockdown, over 100 guys attending every week, um, for me, I think is, is, a, is a huge accolade. And then on the back of that, you know, form, forming a women's club out there, out, you know, on 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 the sort of the the, the bounce left, or a couple of years ago now, and you think, you know, however many lives that's now made an impact on. To, to be fair, I think is is possibly my proudest legacy, and, and something I think that you know, be I'm always sort of pleased to see week on week new people coming in who've, who who need that make that first step. So, yeah, that's that's my one. Love that. Peter, Cheers. Over to you. Peter. Um, yeah, no apology for talking about my kids again. Um, I had three sons. Uh, the oldest one is 33. He was born out of wedlock. Me and his mum never married. We were never really much of an item, to be honest with you. But I vowed always to always be in his life. And he and I have a, just a, a remarkable relationship. And the other two boys, 19 and 18. 
Um, and so, yeah, what, what am I proud of? Unmistakably, my proudest, happiest thing is that all my three boys think I'm a decent dad um, and they love me. And that I've, so I'm, I'm, I must have been, I must have been all right. They're all QPR fans, of course. They never had a choice, but uh, they don't hold that against me. Yeah, that's my proudest achievement. It's what makes me smile. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Uh, our last quick fire question is one positive way you will impact on somebody else this week. A few weeks ago, um, I was able, because of the lockdown restrictions lifting, to go and spend some time in my grandma's garden. I spoke about this on some of the other podcasts. That was a massive thing for myself, obviously, to go and spend some time in my, in my grandma's garden. My grandma's 98, so obviously I've advancing years and we've sort of lost quite a lot of the last year. To be able to go and spend some time in her company um, was a massive positive for not just me, but for her as well. Um, so I'm going to go and do that again. I'm going to go and spend some time having a cup of tea in my old grandma's garden um, and hopefully have a positive impact on her as a result. Chris, what about you? Um, yeah, so one of the things I, I do in my sort of spare time um, when I'm not sort of running around doing club bit. I think Chris's connection's just dropped. Oh, wait, no, here we go. We're we'll back in. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> you can hear me, all right? Yeah, can hear you now loud and clear, mate. Yeah, so one of the things I, I do in my spare time is um, is leadership coaching, and I've got a, a, a lady I've been mentoring over the last sort of six to eight months. Um, so I'm going to catch up with her and and, and see where see where the land lies because she, she's just she's made a, a few really gutsy moves with with work. So I think it'd be really nice to to sort of catch up and see if we can get some some more direction on that, which I always find you know it's 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 always a, a, a immense to see people progress like that. So yeah, that's my one. Love it. Cheers, uh, Peter. What about yourself? A mate of mine texted me earlier. He really wants to chat. And as soon as this podcast is done, we're going for a walk and we're going to have that chat. Love it. Brilliant. Yeah, what what better way to impact on somebody else than to be there for them and to, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. to offer that opportunity. So I love that. Um, Just before we come to the end, we promise we won't keep too much more of your time to keep you away from that good buddy of yours there, Peter. We'll come on to our last little bit, which is our three, two, ones. And as I say, I'm going to come to both of you on this and, and gain a little bit of insight from the two of you. Um, but we'll come to yourself first, Peter. And it, the first one is three ways that you promote positive mental health. Would you please? Well, <clears throat> be on red alert. If like me, because I've been hospitalised twice, actually. But So if like me, you've had mental health issues in the past, or if unlike me, your mental health has always been robust and strong and great, still be on red alert. Now, I'm not saying, you know, Oh, crikey, you wake up first thing in the morning. How am I today? Am I all right? I'm not asking for that kind of level of constant concern because that would impact in itself. But just always be aware that things do impact upon us. They can impact upon us and they might affect us. So be aware of your own mental health. That that I would say. Um, Secondly, exercise okay it's it is good for you you don't have to run marathons you don't have to walk a million steps in may only a lunatic 61 year old would even try and do that um but you know a walk is great you can go you can up the pace you can up the length you can do whatever and i guarantee you'll feel better for it and thirdly what you consume okay to my absolute shame, I have to admit that I became far too familiar with illegal drugs at various stages in my life. And they really, really do not help. Um, and what I will say is that I've not gone anywhere near an illegal drug in the last 17 years. And They've been the best 17 years of my life. Hmm. No coincidence there, methinks. Brilliant. Yeah, massively, uh, massively inspirational, those. Uh, we'll come on to your two pieces of advice for us, Peter, if you can do, please. Yeah. Um, talk. I know we've, 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 we've done that, you know, probably, you know, too many times today, but I'm not going to apologise for it. Because it is just the very best thing. It helps. And, and, 
and not only talking, but you know what? If like when we finish here, I go and speak to my mate. So these are kind of like my 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 two bits of advice. One is one is talk, and the second one, and I've really had to work at this because I am a bit of a gobshite, as you can probably tell, right? The other piece of advice is listen. But I've had to train myself to be a listener. And I buy I abide by this mantra. If you listen, you hear. And if you hear, you begin to understand. And when you understand, then you are perhaps better placed to offer any help or any advice. So number one, talk. Number two, if you're not good at it, train yourself how to listen. I love that. I think obviously we talk about the importance of talking, but what good is talking if there's nobody there to listen? You know, I, I, I massively subscribe to that myself as well. So I love those, Peter. Thank you. Uh, one thing that made you smile or laugh recently as well, please. Uh, what moment? Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. So, so Saturday, we're rewinding back to cricket, right? It's a pre-season friendly, but it's got an edge to it, of course. My son plays at a very decent standard of cricket. But he's 18, you see. So he kind of knows it, right? And so he goes to the pub on Friday night with his two brothers, doesn't he? Right? And gets home late. Courtesy of a lift from Muggins, Dad Cab 1, I hasten to add, who stays up to goodness knows what time to bring my two youngest home, Right? So he goes out Friday night, he sits in a pub garden with his brothers, he drinks clearly too much beer for his own good, and on Saturday, he bowled like a drain. He was rubbish. And it it amused me no end, because, of <laughs> course, and you, you, you probably know there's some saying, isn't there, about poor preparation equates to poor performance or something like that. I've probably just butchered that saying, but anyway. <laughs> right? So in the car on the way home, I am giving it to him, right? There you go. Not not in a trunky way, but just like, you make your decisions. You decide to go to the pub. You decide to drink. You got home late, blah, 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 blah. Look how you bowled today. It was pants. So Saturday night, when we get home, he has an early night. He's well fed. He rests. He goes to bed. Not a drop of alcohol touches his lips. And on Sunday, he bowled like a dream and not a drain. And so that <laughs> made me smile on many, many levels. Brilliant. Yeah, nice. good, to, good to hear that your, uh, your advice was heeded. Brilliant. Uh, love those, Peter. Thank you so, so much for those. Chris, we'll come on to you with your three, two, ones as well, mm -hmm. mate, if we can. So first of all, three ways that you promote positive mental health. Uh, I think, like, agree with Peter, I think, you know, getting outside, you don't have to, you know, run around or, or do anything particularly um, energetic, but I think just getting out of the house, you know, e even if it's hoofing it with rain, uh, just you know, get a bit of fresh air is always a good one. Um, second one, I think, turning off the notifications off your phone, which always helps, um, because it's always a very easy one to get hooked into the little, uh, the little red dot in the corner of an app. Um, and then the third one, I think, yeah, like Peter said, but I think, you know, it, eating well um and not just gorging on i think i to be fair i've i've managed to do pretty much a whole pack of garibaldi biscuits today so i can't really you know judge too much but i think you know on the whole if you can eat sort of eat decent grub then that does help to make you feel a little bit better that's for sure therefore therefore uh, two yeah. pieces of advice you'd like to share with us chris please um i think for the first one like you know i, I think don't be afraid to, 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 to reach out that first step. I think that is a real tough one to do. We see it week in, week out with people who want to try and make that step, but not really quite sure how. Um, and it doesn't always have to be the biggest thing in the world to do. You can do it through either a text message or, or a message. You know, it could be to, to, you know, to the email of, of you know, Andy's Man Club one, just saying, you know, can I just have the, the link for this or know where this is? It could be as simple as that and, and, and make that first step on that journey. Um, second one, I think really it's just it's just get enough time for yourself. I think it's very easy um, to burden yourself with everybody else's stuff, but actually it's you know trying to sort of burn yourself out by trying to fix everybody else's problems is a real 
I suppose, a, a trait of something we see quite often, especially with facilitators, as, as, as we know. Um, but sometimes it's 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 trusting people's um, opinions on actually what's going on for you uh, and listening to them sometimes is, is a is a real asset. So, yeah, that's my that's my two bits of advice. And one thing that made you smile or laugh recently, mate, please. Um, I think watching I, I mentioned I was one up on, on the moor on, on, on Saturday um, and watching someone misjudge a, 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 a misplaced rock and face plants um, was probably. One of the one of the funniest things I've seen for a couple of weeks. I mean, there, there was no injury involved, but it was just the you know the comedy timing. You couldn't have done it any better. But it was just, yeah, it was, it was just one of those moments when I literally had to stop in my tracks and <laughs> and, and, and laugh. But yeah, there we go. I hope that person, if they're listening, they're okay. I'm sure they are. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a winner. Made me laugh and smile in regard to you, Chris. It takes me back to we were actually in a truck stop in Newton Abbott at the time on the Andy's Man Club tour a couple of years ago. Um, that amazing tour that we did around all of our clubs and, you know, we hope to be able to do again, COVID, you know, allowing us to do so. And somebody had happened to put into the little sort of WhatsApp group chat that we created for everybody that was on the tour. Does anybody want anything from the shop? And you just said, yeah, the till. And that stayed with me. And I, I, I giggle at that quite frequently every now and again when, you know, you, your face crops up when I'm sort of scrolling through some work Facebook or something. And it always just reminds me. And I always have a little giggle <laughs> at that. I've got to share that one with you. Definitely. Right then, gents, that brings us towards the end of today's podcast. A huge, huge thank you from myself and from Andy's Man Club to the both of you for joining us. Peter, thank you so, so much for sharing the things that you shared with us today and, and you know, your fascinating backstory. And I, I, I do hope that one day as well we can have you back on and sort of hear a little bit more about some of the uh, the stories and, you know, little bits that you can share and that you're comfortable to share with us. I think that would be another uh, really interesting podcast. So, just before we do sign off, guys, if any of you have obviously been listening to this for the first time, want to find out a little bit more about Andy's Man Club and maybe get involved. Obviously, we've got now the 45 clubs around the country every Monday night, 7pm, that run in exactly the way that you've just seen in the middle of the podcast today, um, including an online platform as well for those that are maybe you know unable to get along to face-to-face for whatever particular reason. Just drop an email into info at andysmanclub.co.uk and we'll find the best option available to you guys and... and uh, and help you through every single step of the way. Um, So all that remains for us is to sign off with a simple, it's okay to talk.